Um, a lot of hard lessons have been learned. I'll say within six years, like about hiring the right type of people, booking the right type of accommodations. Um, one of the worst stories ever, and I've never shared this online, but you guys will think this, this is hilarious. One of our very first destination events, I'm so used to traveling. Like I said, I travel a lot. I take my carry on. Mm-hmm. Um, we flew into the location. We had all of the vendors send the wardrobe ahead of time and we checked a bag. And so we get to the, the airport and I'm waiting for everybody to get their bags and I'm holding my cute little carry on and we drive the two and a half hours to location. And I said to my assistant, can you please go grab that bag out of the van? And she comes back and there's no bag. Hey, I'm Dustin. And I'm Steve. Welcome back to the Wedding Photo Hangover Podcast, the finest phototainment in the world. We are an irreverent look at photography. This podcast, like aspirin, will help you recover from your wedding hangover. Today, it's not just me and Dustin. Today, we're joined by Jamie Finlay. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I've said it like five times before we started recording, and I'm just now thinking to myself, getting in my head, Wow. What a great way to start a podcast. Um, <laughs> Jamie runs her own photography company called Jamie Findlay Photography, and she's also the co-founder and CEO of Evolve Workshops. Jamie, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. And you know what? You you did not butcher the name. I've heard of every different variation out there, so you're not too bad. Not too bad at all, Steve. I even I went back and I re-listened to the episode you did of Wedding Photographers Unite, to like try to make sure I got everything right. And then like, as soon as we started recording, I was like, oh no, no, I'm going to screw this one up. <laughs> second, second guessing yourself. Yeah. A lot of people say Findlay, but yeah, no. you're good. So wh- where are you, uh, where are we talking to you at right now? Where are you located? So I'm in Southeastern Idaho. Oh, so you're in like one of those places like Indiana where most people that live on the coast are like somewhere in the middle of the U.S., yeah, somewhere. That's what I was telling Steve. I grew up in uh, California, married an Idaho boy. He refuses to leave. So we are in southeastern Idaho, but it's grown on me. It's I still don't love everything about it, but it's grown on me. Yeah. So southeastern Idaho, is that, um, do you have any like mountains near you or anything? Or is that more like big sky area or... No, it's it's like a bowl of mountains. It's It's actually quite a nice location. We're about maybe 90 minutes from Sun Valley, two hours from Jackson Hole, two hours from Salt Lake City, like three hours from Yellowstone. So it's pretty neutrally situated where we have a variety of different things we can do around here. But the area I live in has mountains within driving distance, like great hiking areas. Oh, that's amazing. Do you, do you guys go to Yellowstone or like the Tetons very often then? Yeah, we do quite a bit. In fact, um, a few years ago, I don't know what it was, but I, you know, you guys know this, there's like years where you book weddings in the mm-hmm. same location over and over yes. and I do destinations. So it's like all of a sudden one year I have six weddings in San Francisco. And then one year there's like three in the Teton Valley. It's just super random. Um, but there was one year, I think we went to Yellowstone like four times in one year. And I swore I needed like a good two or three years off of seeing Yellowstone, which sounds so spoiled, but it's like, you see it so many times. I was so over it. I, I couldn't see the hot pots one more time. Couldn't smell them either. I assume. That's how I feel about cornfields. I'm like, ah, oh, if I had to take a photo of a bride in a cornfield one more time, 
<laughs> we went to Yellowstone on a family vacation when I was a kid, and I have four siblings, and we were like driving through Yellowstone for I think like a week and a half, and my siblings all got so mad at me because my parents were like, if anybody wants to go see whatever this new sulfur spring or geyser or whatever is, we'll go see it. But if nobody wants to go, we can stay at the campground a day, maybe do some hiking around here. And every single time I was like, I want to go see that. And all my siblings were like, <laughs> no, why would you do this to us? It smells so terrible. <sighs> it does. It does smell so terrible. The only thing that ever smells as bad as that is Iceland. I don't know if you were in Iceland, but really? they do all geothermic heating. So you take a shower and it smells like you're in the middle of Yellowstone bathing in those geysers. Oh, it's wow. just such a, such a funky smell, but it's beautiful. Both places are very beautiful. <laughs> That's how I feel like when I'm showering in Indianapolis, because the water there is so hard and sulfuric. But I guess Steve, well, Noblesville is not so bad. But you go down to like Greenwood, Steve, it's real bad. South side of Indy, yeah. South side of Indy. Yeah. So, Jamie, um, before you started shooting and doing photography full-time, you owned a clothing shop. Is that correct? Yeah. I've owned several different businesses over the last 15 years, but that's the one I did probably for the longest that most people know me for. Mm -hmm. I went to school for design and manufacturing, so I actually went into design and manufacturing, which is, you know, that self-imposed, I have to do what I paid to, to learn how to do. Right. So, and I, and I really truly loved it. I owned it for seven years. We did design manufacturing. We did wholesale. We had two boutiques, 30 girls that sold for me, um, at home trade shows. And then we started online and I was shooting all of our commercial product at the same time. And I've always done photography, but never had an intention of doing it for a career. But I really fell in love with it, shooting it for my clothing company. And so when I sold my clothing company, that's when I kind of went all in. But a lot of people do know me from owning a clothing company for so long. What was the clothing company that you owned? It was called J. Bella. Mm -hmm. Hence the Skype name. Got it. <laughs> Hence, it's still, I can't figure out how to change my Skype name, so it still says J. Bella. <laughs> okay, Dustin still has John Doe, like some sort of serial killer, so. <laughs> Unibomber. Uh, yep, that's me. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. So you sold your clothing shop, you sold that business, and then you, was it like an immediate, I want to get into photography, or was it like you took some time to kind of find yourself, or w what did that transition look like? Well, it kind of, through the clothing industry, the bigger we got, the more you scale, it's like any business. I kind of started losing that passion for probably the last few years. It was really exhausting to run staff. I felt like my list never ended. Um, I had taken on a partner hoping it would take some of the workload off that didn't work out. So then he sold it and then I stayed on to help them transition. And I just like the last few years were so disruptive and not what I had envisioned, but I had kind of started shooting more just to keep the passion alive for myself. Mm -hmm. And, and I really wanted to learn how to utilize light better anyway. So it, it kind of was just out of like a passion project of who wants to shoot with me. I want to try this type of light, or I want to try this type of lens with the intention of not burning myself out in my clothing company. And about two years of doing both together, that's when I was, it was really clear to me of, you know, I, I love photography. I always had, I had never thought I could do it as a business. At that point, I was like, man, this is awesome. I asked people for a hundred bucks. They hand me a hundred bucks. I don't have to split it with five staff members. I don't have to have a studio. Like, no, like it just seems like such a more 
simplistic way of living. And I really craved it at that time. So that's, that was kind of my journey into it. And being a business owner for so long, I think I was a bit obsessive. So unlike other people, it wasn't a hobby. It was like, if I'm going to sell my company and I am going to have to make money and I have to make money. So I have to run it like a business. And so pretty much from day one, it was like out the gate. How do I make money Mm -hmm. doing photography? And, and I just kept going. What did your first shoots look like? What were you shooting at first? <laughs> um, a lot of portrait because I was practicing portrait family. I shot family. I think the first person I ever charged, I asked him for a hundred bucks. Like I said, I thought that was amazing. Um, about a year into doing random family and portraits, I did my first wedding and I quoted them 1100 bucks and they didn't bat an eye. And I was like, this is the best job in the entire world. This is amazing. <laughs> I love it. And so. Yeah. So that was kind of my work was, um, what was picnic? It was, it was it called picnic editing. Do you remember like 10 years ago, picnic editing? Like I didn't even use Photoshop. It was like the Google editing software. I was going to say picnic was peach, one of those Google Chrome filtered. apps, right? Yeah. 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 Everything was peach filtered. And I just thought I was, I was amazing. I thought I was so awesome and onto something new and good. Well, I mean, obviously you were amazing and awesome and onto something new and good because you're still doing it, right? I am still doing it. But yeah, you know, you look back at your work and you're like, I don't, I can't believe somebody ever paid me for that, that image. But yeah, it did work out. And a lot of great things have continued to go from there within photography. And I feel like I've been able to take the time to really hone in what I want to do. And I've done weddings for a lot of years, so I'm really kind of transitioning back into commercial, which is why I started photography. Mm -hmm. I love fashion portraiture, commercial portraiture. Um, it's just, it's a constant evolution. You know how it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for your commercial stuff that you're doing now, um, is, do you have a lot of opportunity for that in Idaho or are you traveling a lot for that? No, a lot of, a lot of it comes from having so many clothing connections and so many Mm -hmm. brand connections is I'm just basically building catalog and shooting for them with people that I know so that I can pursue that. I have a lot of photographer friends that shoot it. So they've given me opportunities to connect with their clientele. Um, a lot of them will send it to me and allow me to orchestrate the shoot. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's not going to be forever, but yeah. I, I try to limit my traveling as much as possible. Cause I do travel a lot with evolve and I travel for all my weddings. Mm-hmm. So I don't really need one more reason to travel with four yeah. kids sitting at home. You travel for all of Poor your weddings? Kids. Wow. So All my weddings. So so when you say travel, is that like three hours away to Yellowstone, or are we talking like flying most of the time? I would say the last two and a half, three years have been flying all the time. Mm-hmm. I might luck out and get something locally, and it's really just out of necessity. Um, people here are not going to pay the same prices. So when I worked here locally, I was shooting 40, 50 weddings and it was getting to such a crazy point where I remember I was literally at a wedding and couldn't remember the groom's name. I was like, Hey husband, you know, Hey, (laughs) go, go hug your bride. And, um, at the end of the season, I'd run into people and like, Oh, I met you at so-and-so's wedding. And, and I couldn't remember anything. I hated it so much that I started incrementally raising my pricing, which puts me in a different price bracket for Idaho. So I'm just mm-hmm. not booking work here. If I could drive down the street and take a picture and drive home and get paid the same, I totally would. Uh, but my clientele is just outside the state. See, I only have like 20 to 25 clients a year and still I can't remember anybody's name. <laughs> <laughs> You might want to get that looked at. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a cure for that, Steve. It's called caring. 
I don't, I don't know how to do that. Jen told me one time that, uh, one of our grooms, cause I, I typically shoot with my wife. We run like our business together. And one of our grooms saw me at a bar and like looked at me and said, hi. And I did not apparently recognize him. And I thought he was talking to somebody else like behind me. And so I just grabbed my beer and walked away. Oh no. Wow. And I wish I could say I feel bad about it, but I don't like <laughs> It was just like you have no referral coming from that one, Steve. <laughs> They've actually referred several weddings to us. <laughs> they love my wife. She would have recognized him in a heartbeat, but not me. Yeah, because your wife's pretty great. Yeah, I mean, I married up, so yeah, that's cute. So, um, you got started doing more like design fashion type work, you're kind of getting back into that now. How do you feel like that has affected like um, when you started shooting weddings and stuff? Do you feel like you bring any of that mentality with you into like a wedding day? Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that's why I attract the type of clientele I do is because definitely the way that I shoot, the editing that I'm drawn to, the lighting uh, situations I put people in are very much more that editorial type look, which is not for every bride, but it has allowed me to kind of niche the type of brides that I get because they want that kind of magazine feel. They want that kind of fashion portraiture feel. That's, I always say it's a lifestyle editorial because it's still very much the emotion of the day, but in a more editorial usage of lighting and posing. So it's helped quite a bit. And I love the brides that I work with. Um, they, at this point are always like, just go do your thing, you know, whatever you want to do, go do it. You see it, go do it. But when I very first started out, I felt like, you know, I had the Pinterest board and the shoot list and, mm -hmm. and I would do everything they wanted. And then at the end, they still weren't happy. I do think having more of like a niche look and type to my, uh, look to my work has helped my clients like really just kind of be okay with whatever I do, which has made it more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And is that something like you started out with like an eye on like, I want to do work that's more like this, or do you feel like you kind of like drifted naturally into it? Yeah, I just drifted into it. In fact, I, for a long time, I didn't even know what to call it. Um, a few years ago, I was in LA working with a friend of mine who does like high celebrity portraiture. And, and we were meeting with people that worked in that industry. And I was showing them my books and talking to him about, you know, what I wanted to do. And they were the first ones that said, oh, this is lifestyle editorial. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I had never really had anybody put words to what I was trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And from there it was like, ah, oh, that is it. That's what I, that's what I'm trying to do. And, and it helped me give me more directive when I shot having words in mind. But initially it just was what I did. It was just what I, what I saw and, and was drawn to. So you do a lot of different stuff now, like weddings, families, seniors, commercial photography, um, if you had to say like which type of photography you do the most of right now, where do you think you fall on like that scale? Still weddings. Like I, I still say I take weddings. I, I maintain my family clientele. Mm -hmm. So I'd say I have a pretty healthy clientele locally. Um, I also shoot in New York once a year. I have probably 20, 25 families in New York city that I shoot every single year. Oh, wow. So I maintain, I maintain my family clientele and I'll take an occasional portrait here and there just mainly for passion projects, but it's not something that I push or market. Um, so I'd say I primarily am wedding, which is why I want to transition. I really do want to spend more time doing fashion portraiture. So 20 to 25 families in New York that you shoot every year. How does a photographer in Idaho build up that clientele? 
<laughs> it all starts with one, you know, it, it started with one client who, uh, lived in New York city and I went out there and, and photographed and said, Hey, if you have any friends, I'd love to do a couple while I'm out here. And, and they maybe found me two or three. And every time I came back, I mean, this is six, seven years into me going once or twice a year. And every time I go, they have a new friend, they have a new referral. They have somebody that they wanted to do until I built up a clientele to where it's just maintenance. Um, mm -hmm. rarely do I go out there and take a new client anymore because it's crazy. I mean, that's a lot of families to shoot in like a four or five day period. Four or five days? Like four or five days. Like I, I'm pretty much just back to back. I've seen the city. I don't need to vacation. I don't need to sit, you know, go to a Broadway show. I just go in, get my shoots done, fly out. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you enjoy that though? Like, um, since you're not actually going to vacation, uh, I feel like that would get sort of tiresome, but like you said, I guess New York families are perhaps willing to spend more on your services than Idaho families. Um, maybe, I mean, I, I'm definitely the highest priced in Idaho. So people here in Idaho still pay the same price as they do in New York city. Okay. It's just like, it's basically like working a, a wedding. I mean, I make the same amount in four days as I would shooting one more wedding. So it's worth it to me to go out there. Um, and it does get tiring. Like, I'm not going to lie, Dustin, there's years where I'm like, if I have to get on one more plane, like I'm going to pull my hair out. And so I've tried to transition into doing less of that, which means I take less weddings. I'm more picky about the projects that I do take that require me to travel. Uh, I, you know, I have evolved. I have different things, private coaching that I do that brings revenue in. I don't have to travel like I used to, but I've had those years where it's like, the 42nd plane ride of the year and, and I'm just over it. Yeah. How do you cope with that? Like, like when you're just like getting to towards the end of the year or towards like a break or something and you just want to be done. Like, how do you, how do you power through that when you're on the plane or when you're packing up to get ready to go? I don't know how you just do like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I have started setting boundaries a few years ago where I take, I stopped shooting November 15th. I don't start shooting again until February. Mm -hmm. So all I do is administrative stuff. I do allow myself time to like check out. And that includes editing. Like my goal is to be done with editing by November 15th. I don't want to look at a session. I don't want to think about a session. You're just out there and it's like, here I am. I've got to do it. And you know, sometimes you don't deliver your best. We all know that sometimes no matter what you do, you're just not on. Mm -hmm. um, but I always try to do my best to just push through and, and go do what they've allowed me to do. Cause it's a phenomenal job to have somebody pay you to capture photos, something that you love 100%. to do anyway, you know? And so reminding myself of like, I have paid a crap ton of crap ton of money to be here for one hour. You know, I, I can mm -hmm. suck it up and I can provide really great value to these people and actually care. And having that mindset's helped. Mm -hmm. So are you like, are you utilizing like SEO and Instagram and all of those tools to continue the out of state wedding um, portion of your business being that it's, you said that, you know, almost 99% of your work falls outside of your state lines. Um, I guess as somebody who would love to shoot more outside of Indiana, I'm curious how that, that works for you or you just have that big of a referral base because you shoot at a San Francisco wedding and three people from that wedding are calling you up to, you know, come shoot their wedding. Or if you have some secret sauce you want to share. I don't have a secret sauce. In fact, 
you'd laugh. I hired a new day just a couple months ago and she was like digging and she's like, you have the worst SEO. There's, I haven't blogged in years and, and I'm super random on my social media. I think but that only gets you so far. And I think that's what I'm starting to realize now is it was referral based. It was really easy. People who follow me on media know I'm traveling all the time. So they know I'm available for weddings anywhere in the world. Um, but that only gets you so far. So now I feel like I am taking more seriously a concentrated effort on my SEO and consistent blogging and the visibility aspect so that I can maintain that. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't. I didn't for a long time, but I do think it's very important, especially for destinations. Mm-hmm. Sure. So um, we've talked a lot about like your photography and stuff. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the Evolve workshops that you run. How did Evolve Workshops, how did that come into existence? What was the impetus for that? So Evolve really just kind of was created out of necessity for me. Um, Steve and I were talking about this a little bit before, but coming from the clothing industry, I was used to being surrounded by people constantly. And I had so many different mentors and people in the industry that I knew who to turn to when I had questions about things. And when I transitioned into photography, it was so lonely. I felt like the community was really guarded and I didn't know who to talk to about techniques or if, if making $10,000 a year was good, or if I should be trying to make 50,000 or six figures, like I had no idea what any type of standard was. Um, so it all started as a necessity. And so it started with one girl. I I reached out to one girl, um, who's Courtney, who's the other co-founder. And I just said, Hey, (laughs) do you want to go shoot? I want to get to know you. I'd love to get to know you. And we had a great time. And so then I invited somebody else and I invited somebody else and it didn't always work out the same way, you know, but it was good for me to connect with people. And from there I started running meetups because you know, that's meetups. Like there was actual meetup.com website. I don't know if that still exists actually. Mm -hmm. Um, but meetups were a thing. So we started doing those in my studio. I invited Courtney to help me organize that. And on a regular basis, we started putting together networking events for content. And about a year and a half, two years into it, I'd been spending all this time helping Courtney learn how to run a business. And I was figuring out how to run my business effectively. And I realized that nobody else attending knew how to run a business. Like Mm -hmm. they were taking beautiful pictures and none of them were living off their income. None of them were full-time photographers. So I started teaching and started private coaching. And that's when it became Evolve. Mm -hmm. is um, something that was very much community-based about building each other up, providing support, helping develop that really, that positive community that I was seeking so that other people always had a place they could enter and not feel like a visitor. And that's where we are today is we still do four to six live events a year all over the world where I hope people leave feeling like that, that they had a shared experience, that they had a friend, that they have the evolved family to, to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the whole reason it was started was for community and, and sadly for me to make a friend, you know, <laughs> I just wanted a friend. <laughs> that's like the most human thing in the world. It's not so sad. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody please be my friend. No, but it worked out wonderfully. And, um, for the last six years, we've been able to serve a lot of people and connect with a lot of people and, um, it's just been great. Like I don't have any other words for it. It's been really great to my soul. I feel very fulfilled in having created it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. You said you take like November 15th through February. Was it 15th off? And so I noticed the Evolve 
workshop conference is like the first week of February, do you try to plan like more evolve um, meetups or workshops during that time when you're taking off from your photography business? Yeah, it's definitely like admin time. Um, my intention is always to do my redo my website every single year. And it hasn't been redone in like three, four years. I think that's like sixty um, percent of photographers out there. <laughs> I have a lot of good intentions on my time off, but it does usually get wrapped up in like the organization of what we're going to do for our marketing, who we're going to collaborate with, what sponsors we can serve well, and which sponsors can bring value to the community through free education on our platforms. Um, figuring out like the logistics for an event, those type of things, it does get wrapped up in my time off. And this is the first time we've ever done anything in February. So that's been a little different. I've had to give up some of this time that I'm used to having. It's, it's drained me a lot more than usual, but mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be an amazing event. Mm-hmm. So this year in February, did I read that it's in San Francisco? Yep. San Francisco. And does it move around or is it always in San Francisco or? No, we have, we move our events all over. So, um, let's see, last year we did Iceland, Greece, Palm Springs, New York, Hawaii. I mean, we've been to Indiana. Is that on the short list? Yeah. We'll be in Indiana next. (laughs) Um, you know, we're always trying to find places that people can reach us from different communities because not everybody has the ability to travel. So I don't want to be isolated to it's only in this spot because not everybody can go. So I want them to have an opportunity that's somewhat close to them somewhere around the country. Mm -hmm. Like Indiana. Mm -hmm. Like Indiana. You know, Sean from Kiss Books will be happy you said that, Dustin. Exactly. He's been trying to get us out there for a while. It's right down the street from Steve. Yep. I'm perfect. We'll make it happen. We'll do something in Indiana. Dustin, do you have something you wanted to ask? I heard you Um, breathe in your preemptive question asking breath. (laughs) I mean, I guess I'm just not to like beat this topic into the ground, but I guess I'm just super curious. Like, so when you started, you know, the evolution, pardon my pun of evolve, um, and it started up with the meetups and then the hangouts, and then it kind of became this sort of national type or global type thing where people would fly in to come to these, um, conferences or workshops. Um, how did you, as the person who ran that, how did you evolve? Like how, I mean, there has to be just so much on the logistics and the back end side of that, um, that you had to kind of learn and grapple with as it came at you as somebody who's like, just trying to hang out with people. And then you're like, okay, we've got to figure out like accommodations and we have to figure out like, who's going to come and teach at these things. Um, a lot of hard lessons have been learned. I'll say within six years, like about hiring the right type of people, booking the right type of accommodations. Um, one of the worst stories ever, and I've never shared this online, but you guys will think this, this is hilarious. One of our very first destination events, I'm so used to traveling. Like I said, I travel a lot. I take my carry on. Mm-hmm. Um, we flew into the location. We had all of the vendors send the wardrobe ahead of time and we checked a bag. And so we get to the the airport and I'm waiting for everybody to get their bags and I'm holding my cute little carry on and we drive the two and a half hours to location. And I said to my assistant, can you please go grab 
that bag out of the van. <laughs> she comes back and there's no bag. I oh. stood at bag check for probably 45 minutes waiting for people to get their bags and watched my bag go around and around and around. Oh. And we had no wardrobe two and a half hours away and about maybe two hours from a shoe. Man. It worked out and I hired her to go get it. It brought it to me and it was, but I'm not going to lie. I cried behind the van a little bit there about what a nightmare. Why am I doing this? This is so crazy. Um, and Courtney and I left that event and we looked at each other in the hotel room crying one night. And I said, we're never doing that. We're not doing this anymore. I will not do a destination event. This is so stressful. And about two months later, we said, all right, let's put on our girl, big girl pants. We're going to go do a destination event. And this time we're going to pick up our bag. <laughs> and we just kept going. And, you know, not everything was perfect, um, but we just keep learning. Like you said, the, the evolution of it is we're learning too. We're learning the best way to foster the community in a way that's um, authentic. That's not just about beating a dead you know, beating a dead horse and making them absorb everything we say because we are the authority, you know, but we've, we've learned that balance of providing value through love and care and support and mm -hmm. emotion and giving them things that are touch points outside of just education. And that's all something we've had to learn over time, <laughs> but we definitely, we didn't know it all. And I still don't feel like I know it all, honestly, Dustin, I'm still learning better ways to do things every time. Do you, do you go to any conferences, workshops, anything like that on your own to just kind of like almost get a peek at how other people run things and do things just to get sort of a different perspective? You know, you sneak in with a spy cam, record <laughs> things behind the scenes, you know? Exactly. Don't tell, don't tell them that I do that. Um, I didn't used to just because I didn't have the time. When, like mm -hmm. I said, when I was shooting 40 weddings a year and traveling so much, um, the last couple of years, I've made it a point to attend a few a year mm. and it is helpful to see. It's given me a perspective of what I do and don't like, uh, with the way things have been either projected as this is what you're going to get. And then the expectation hasn't matched. You know, I've learned what I do like with staging. I've li learned what I don't like with staging or, um, it has been helpful the last few years to go and see and, and to support other people, like other people that I truly do care about or educators. I want to see what they're like on stage. It's given me a way to, to vet things in a way that I didn't have the ability of doing before. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Some people are great to, you know, you have a interview on the phone and they're great. And then when they come deliver, it's, it's disappointing. So having that live connection point to see them actually connect has mm -hmm. been really helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Sorry, I got that, that notification, notification that I have to like check into my flight. Because oh. <laughs> it's like on Southwest, and if you don't yeah. check in right away, they like make you fly on the wing. <laughs> so, you guys uh, are two of the chill people I've ever met, by the way. You seriously just have such an easy, welcoming vibe about you. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I feel like that's good for like you guys are two of the most unprofessional people I've ever talked to. No, I would take that all. as a compliment as well, Dustin. Yeah. <laughs> Just take it as a compliment. So, Jamie, um, at the like second half of like all of our interviews, we answer like just random questions from Facebook. Do you want to answer oh. some random questions with us? I would love to. Yeah. Let's do some Q&A. But, but Steve, 
Danner from a random Facebook group asks, idly sitting at this workshop and wondering if I should just take over for the lady trying to teach it. She knows less about flash than I do. She's not even pointing her on-camera flash at the subject. It's pointed up at the ceiling. What a waste of money this was. Should I leave or should I give an SHIT and try to actually educate the other people here? <laughs> well, one I, one, I love that. Who knows when they posted this and did either of you guys respond or they've just been sitting here wondering for a couple weeks till your next podcast. I try oh, so not Steve's... to touch the toxic misogynist questions <laughs> when I see them in Facebook groups. So we have to preface, these are questions that Steve pulls from other Facebook groups, not like ours. So these are people that will get answers from, you know, wherever they posted them. But we like to, you know, feel like we're the authority on everything. So we're taking it upon ourselves to pull their question, which they'll probably never hear the answer to. And... Um, enlighten everyone else well if anybody out there knows a danner who's a photographer i'd love for them to hear the answer that we come up with for this one so i think it, i think his handle on instagram is danner the flash expert <laughs> Jamie, do you have that. any I'd advice for danner you know i'd love to know if he did go up on that stage and and rectify the situation or or ask her why it was pointed towards the ceiling i would love to know the follow-up on this um, but in all seriousness, who hasn't been there? Who has not been sitting in an audience and just listening to somebody spout a bunch of BS while you're sitting there listening at something you've paid for? So my heart does go out to him, even though it is a, it's a good question. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I have to assume, Danner, is that uh, the person giving the talk maybe was trying to teach how you can use the flash off camera as like a bounce flash. Um, you don't always have to point it at the subject, Danner. Um, we we do that all the time. We'll pop those bad boys in the corner of like darkly lit receptions just to add a little fill from the sides. Danner specifically said on-camera flash, Dustin. Oh, on-camera flash. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a bounce flash. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> I've never pointed my flash directly at the subject when it's on camera. Yeah. Never, yeah. never, ever. Not never. with like a, I guess like outdoors or something on it. No, like I guess there's been a few situations where like somebody will be like, oh, can you run out here on the patio and get a shot of like my dad and I smoking a cigar? And it's like, like yeah, I'll walk out into the pitch black patio that has no lights. And then you're like coming off the dance floor to take that shot. And so then you just flip that flash down at him and you don't do put a the little, bounce card up. You flip the flash down and just flip blast, the flash, them. blast them. <laughs> That's right. You're all for the drama. Slow shutter speed. You maybe you shake the camera a little yeah. bit, make it little feel drag. like you're a little dizzy. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get the drag on the uh, cigar that they're smoking, right? So it looks right. like you know there's like an orange circle or something, or a fish hook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The smoke <laughs> is like, you know, moving through the air. So Ryan from a random Facebook group asks, "Would it be worth it to go to Iceland?" for a food photography workshop. <laughs> for, for people listening, um, Jamie's mouth, her jaw dropped open when she heard that. <laughs> Do you want, well, my first thought, the reason my jaw dropped was Iceland. Beautiful, beautiful. 
never in five million years would I ever go there for the food. (laughs) I literally pack a suitcase every time I go with oatmeal packets, pretzels, kind bars, anything I can do to get away from having to eat the Icelandic food. Wow. What, what, for those of us who are sheltered, what is Icelandic food? Um, they just have no vegetation. So there's like no fruit veggies. Like it's very hard to find everything is like, um, meat that's been in the freezer. Like what's the word for that? Like not dehydrated, but what's the correct word I'm thinking of here. Um, but everything comes from a freezer. Like very rarely is anything fresh other than like lamb or fish. And I personally don't like either of those. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing, if you, if you want a good laugh, like my first thought of Iceland food was they're known for their gas station hot dogs, which look Mm. like something other than hot dogs. (laughs) If you, if you want a good laugh, go Google Icelandic hot dogs. So interesting. Start a whole food truck around that concept. Yeah, you really could. <laughs> well, so have you ever had an Icelandic hot dog then? No, I can't eat them. I, there, you, go Google it right now, Steve, and you will know exactly why. I will not. I can't even eat it. I cannot. And here's part of my problem is I'm a celiac, so I can't even hide the nastiness of the hot dog in bread. I would have to just pick it up and eat it as is. What's wrong with these? They look twisted. <laughs> what is this these are weird they're, looking they're not they're very disturbing and they all have really odd white tips it's just it's not anything yeah yeah all the pictures i'm seeing have like brown sauce on them too yeah so that that was my thought of uh, icelandic food photography that go for it that'd be great that make for some good gifts or something. Just just imagine um, how good of a salesman the person putting that conference is, is doing if they're like, wow, I've always wanted to get into food photography. Maybe I should go to Iceland to learn. Right. I've always go wanted to, to go to Iceland. I mean, I hear it's beautiful. I'm sure that there's a lot of benefits of being in a beautiful place. Trapped inside of a building. Tracked, yeah, trapped inside of a hotel conference room, learning how to shoot food. Yeah. Maybe so it's a it. new concept on food photography. Maybe they take the food out on hikes into the mountains and uh, shoot like it food there. landscapes. Yeah, food landscape right, photography. Yeah. They, they put it on the black sand beach and <laughs> there, there you, you go. go. Just, just take take turns circling the plate. Dustin, do you wanna you wanna pick a question? Absolutely. Um, Piper from a random Facebook group asked, how much shopping can I expect to do at a typical photography workshop? And where can I find what companies will have items for sale? Is the amount of work I have to do for an item negotiable or is it set in stone? I've often wondered this myself. These are real questions that people ask. 100% real questions. Yep. (laughs) Can't say that's ever been a thought I've ever had attending a conference or um, hosting one. (laughs) This is a thought Piper had. Yeah. That's something I better start taking into account. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you could have a lot of indentured servants working for you at these workshops. (laughs) I just need to hire one extra person to answer all Piper's questions. 
before just, they arrive. Just, I'm just picturing this person. <laughs> she's considering coming to your workshop and she's like, but I have a shopping addiction. So in order to set time aside for said addiction, I need to plan accordingly. So Jamie, if you could just kind of give me some insight onto, you know, do I need to like hire someone to slap me at this time to keep me from shopping at your workshop? Um, you know, like things like that. These are, these are first world problems that these people are having. You know, that'd be a question I would see and I would forward to Bethany. I'd let Bethany <laughs> deal with that one <laughs> for Bethany. Is Bethany, does she answer emails for you and stuff like yeah. that? Or Yeah, she does her <laughs> customer service, but she's constantly sending me just odd questions like this of like, what, what am I even supposed to say to this? That would be one that Bethany would be in charge of handling. I picked that question because it's very clear the person doesn't understand that sometimes when two words are put together, they may mean something else than the two words separate. (laughs) And it was very amusing to me to think of that. (laughs) Is uh, at the Evolve workshops, do you guys have like, um, like a vendor section where they can sell their wares and services or... Only at the conference. That's the only time we've ever done it at the conference is there's usually like a a vendor hall that they can Mm -hmm. go out to. And they're all handpicked vendors, like people that we truly believe can provide some type of value. So we're not like a open forum trade show floor with 50 different vendors selling everything you can think of. Like they're pretty curated to people that we, we believe in ourselves. Sure. And I don't know how many of them sell items you could take or go down a shopping addiction path with. I don't know. <laughs> I'll pay more attention in a couple weeks. Maybe, maybe send out an email. If you guys have a shopping addiction, um, here's a resource for you. <laughs> here's what I think about your negotiation abilities for each vendor. <laughs> So Ashley from a random Facebook group asks, I just went to a workshop and learned a ton of stuff. The instructor recorded the whole workshop and sent us all download links. And I've rewatched it a few times and I just keep learning more every single time I watch it. It's completely changed the way I shoot. Some photographers in my area have noticed and are asking me to teach them what I learned. So I already transcribed the video to use the as a resource. But my question is, When teaching these other photographers, how many words do I need to change so I don't get in trouble for copyright infringement? Jeez. (laughs) Oh, so bad. It's so bad, Steve. (laughs) Dustin, how many words do you need to change? (laughs) You know, it's so bad is that people, people really, truly do that. They really have that thought. Mm -hmm. It's like buying a preset and then like changing like, like two sliders, like by fractions of a a slide and then repackaging it as your own preset. Uh, I, I know, I know a photographer did that. There was a huge problem a few years ago with that, Dustin. There yeah. was a huge problem because people were using, I think it was uh, the VSCO presets back when VSCO still did that. And they were using those as like a base when they built their presets. Then they'd sell their presets and the people who bought them hadn't also bought the VSCO presets. So then when they got like the new preset, for some reason it wouldn't work right because they didn't have like the VSCO preset as well. Like the color profiles. Yeah. 
So it like uh, screwed up the edits and then like people were getting like these weird edits back from the editing companies that they were sending this stuff to and everything. Like it was just, uh, it was very odd. My wife and I run like a editing company. So we, we, we stay up to date on some of this kind of like weird editing type stuff. But um, have you ever had anybody try to like do that with one of your guys' workshops, Jamie? Oh yeah. We've, we've seen it all. And like, sidetrack with the editing we actually know an instructor who several years ago taught for us they got sued by visco for nearly a million dollars for selling a preset that was pretty much straight there so it's just stupid stupid idea but we've i've seen it all i've seen people come to my event and i've seen two weeks later a newbie photographer post they're now doing a workshop and you know that they're teaching your education i have had private coaching clients after they quote graduate become a private coach and they're promoting things word for word i think it happens quite a bit the most dramatic and i and i won't name what it, who it was or the company it was but we had a mix of communities once and they were very very upset that one of our educators went and used something they had learned at their event as their lecture topic at our event and people people out there they they watch that mm-hmm. they pay attention to that yeah wow it's terrifying. that would be crazy <laughs> it is that's why steven and i don't do anything publicly everything we talk about <laughs> is purely private we don't post anything we don't share anything because we're so afraid people will copy us this podcast episode with you jamie will be shared with a private group of people um it's not public at all our parents our friends our family yeah. our providing spouses. great value to the world yeah. mm-hmm. now if they want to go out and share it then that's on them but we only share privately so you're saying i'm not allowed to transcribe this and then go <laughs> just your voice <laughs> Only your portion of the podcast. When this comes out, you throw it into otter.ai and do whatever you want with that transcription because we're not doing anything with it. Uh, so when you see this stuff happening with like workshops you've done or with people who you've coached, do you ever have you ever felt the need to say something to them or anything? You know, or do you just let it go as like, well, I'm really flattered that they feel like they learned so much? I feel like year, a couple of years ago, I would get really upset by it, like really personally hurt by it. Mm-hmm. And I probably was more likely to say it. I don't know if it's like age or time, but now it's just like, nah, you know what? They're never going to teach it the way that I actually taught it. There's such a limited group of people that are going to follow them and go to that event. Six people out of the world of 150,000 photographers. Like, is it really worth mm-hmm getting upset about and we do recycle education we all do we very rarely is anything new or unique or we're all recycling education in different ways so i try to pay attention to that but we have had to call people out on things a few different times like educators privately um when that's come up and have conversations with them and and it hasn't happened for a while but i've seen some pretty dramatic stuff go down that's for sure Mm. have when you guys have called somebody out privately has it ever gotten dramatic or is it usually pretty cool how people handle it and they're just like oh sorry or whatever move on um i'm not a dramatic person so i'm pretty even keel anyway so i Mm -hmm. think a lot of the time they just mirror that we've never i've never had anybody throw a tantrum or cry or throw up their hands and run out um for the most time they're embarrassed that they've been caught about it and 
sometimes it stops it. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, I just had a really dear friend the other day, have somebody replicate some pretty big things in her business. And she did stand up and say something about it. It was a really big deal to her to call them out on it. But I think those cases are few and far between. Like I said, we're all recycling stuff, like pick your battles. If we, if we went after everybody who replicated something we did, we would drive ourselves crazy. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned uh, people like that you've worked with or who've been in a workshop of yours, um, taking stuff you've done and like repurposing it or whatever. Um, I'm kind of curious just, so I knew you were the CEO of Evolve Workshops. I wasn't certain how much like hands-on like teaching you actually did. Um, how, how many like workshops, how many, like, do you teach courses at the conference or you're more like just an oversight sort of position there or what's that look like for you? Um, so when we do a conference, I just teach one class or I do like one thing on stage. I try not to dominate it. It's not about me. It's about everybody we've brought in for the community. When we do a retreat or anything, it's just me teaching just me and whoever's there, Courtney, or if we have another educator that's there that just does the teaching, a lot of the evolved workshop and retreat attendees end up coming to me for private coaching. So I say a lot of my private coaching clients end up doing extended programs with me outside of evolve. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. And it do is you, cool. do you enjoy more like the private coaching, like the more one-on-one like type stuff, or do you enjoy more like the workshop type stuff? Um, I really like the workshop type stuff and that's what we're kind of transitioning this year into building our online Academy and doing things that can hit, like allow people content access in a more broad spectrum. Mm-hmm. One-on-one's really fulfilling cause you get to help them, but it's also a lot of accountability and not everybody can follow through on what you teach them. Um, so it is more of an emotional thing. I enjoy doing it as a group. And I think there's a lot to be said for peer to peer accountability and peer to peer education within group coaching and workshops and those type of things. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, so I think that's probably going to do it for us because I know you got, you only blocked out so much time for this. Uh, but where can people find you and evolve online? Yeah. So evolve is just evolveworkshops.org on our website. Um, on Instagram, it's at evolve workshops. And then me personally, if you want to find me on Instagram, it's at the landlocked mermaid, like L A N D L O C K E D mermaid. Um, I've had that since I was a fashion blogger and I'm never getting rid of it. Someday I'm going to write a book called the landlocked mermaid. So I can't get rid of it. So if you want to find me, that's where it's going to be. Oh, that's awesome. What, what would your, would your book, book be about? Be about? <laughs> Same time. Uh, Steve and I kind of touched on this before we got on. I, I have had a very interesting life, um, a very un, what's the, what's the world uh, word, a non-normal childhood, I guess, something that's really unique. I can't think of the word right now because my brain is fried, but uh, the experience is Spectacular, spectacular, spectacularly different. Um, But there's a lot of things that I've gone through in my lifetime that I think there's a lot of cool lessons to be learned. And a lot of people who follow me on social media do follow for like inspiration, motivation type things. And so eventually I feel like my full story will come out and that's how I envision sharing it. We'll see if that comes to fruition, but got to hang on to that Instagram handle just in case. (laughs) There you go. Love it. Um, so real quick before we go, if you could recommend any non-photography related thing to our listeners that you think they should check out, music, movie, book, 
anything like that just brings you joy in your life, what would it be? Oh, geez. Um, I'm a lover of the arts period. So I'm big into anything that inspires them. I love art galleries. I'm a big reader, like tangible reading. Mm-hmm. So big magic, um, is one that I've been rereading right now. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of ways outside of photography. You should spend your time. I don't think you can spend all your time reading photography education. You've got to get out there. I love movies. I love film. They inspire my work. Uh, music videos probably inspire my, my work quite a bit too. I love their lighting use. So that's kind of a broad answer I know, but, yeah. um, well, music videos are so fun too. Cause it's like, they try so many like different things out cause they have to like compress everything into like two to three minutes and there's not like a script or anything. So it's like, how do we convey this emotion that the song makes you feel with visuals in this very short amount of time? Like I love watching music videos cause it just feels like so dense and meaty on the visual side. I do too. And I love the use of light, like just the different scenarios. I think there's so much inspiration to be had out there. Like I said, even film, I watch movies all the time and find things that really inspire me. Their, their color tones and, and the different scenarios that they have set up that inspire a shot I want to take. But I think it's important to spend your time seeking those things out and not being bombarded in two hours of photography education every day. The brain needs a break. Yeah. It needs some, something visual to inspire it. What's your favorite movie? Pretty Woman. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Or White or White Christmas, mm-hmm. which is I, I love both of those. Yeah. I love a lot of movies, but those are my two favorite ones. Pretty Woman, I think I love because my grandmother was such a character, just like larger than life persona, and um, she would let me come over to her house, and I had free range to watch any movie I wanted to, and she had shelves of movies she'd recorded off TV. Like this is back in VHS days, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Pretty Woman was always the one I would sneak and pull down because it just felt like such such a win for you know an 11 year old to pull down a rated r show and watch about a prostitute that like overcomes her life and and creates this new fantastic world so there's something about it that i still just love that that uh rags to riches story oh that's wonderful i love i love like the childhood magic and nostalgia of that yeah yeah. I, you know, it, it, it's funny what we remember from childhood. That's for mm. sure. Did your parents ever like come in and see like catch grandma sneaking you rated our movies and get like super furious? No, they were both really hands off. So, um, grandma's house was like a sanctuary and, and I spent a lot of time there by myself. And when my parents divorced, I would fly home and spend summers there. So it really was just me floating mm. around a pool watching birdcage, watching dirty dancing, watching, you know, like just <laughs> building this, this, uh, knowledge in my head of what I thought the real world was going to be. But it, mm-hmm. there's something about it that was just so magical and yeah. grandma let me do whatever I want. She told me I could do whatever I want and be whatever I want. And, and she, she was the epitome of owning what she said. Your grandma sounds awesome. That's been, uh, it's been sort of an interesting kind of side tangent, um, interesting debate between my wife and I, because my, we expect a lot out of our parents with like help with our kids. And my wife always feels super guilty. And in my mind, it feels supernatural because my grandparents essentially raised me and I spent so much time with them growing up because my parents got divorced when I was two. And so I like practically lived with my grandparents most of my young life. 
And so to, that's been like a very interesting debate we've been having as husband and wife. I don't know why I went there, but yeah. Cause like in my mind, my grandparents' house was like the sanctuary. Like you had those like creature comforts when you went over there. And now I look back and I'm like, it's so funny how you, f- you feel that way. Like there's those, those things that to this day are still like very comforting, even though like most people would be like, that's so weird. Like you'd see the little pot- potpourri-, potpourri jars, like with the doilies and all of that. And we still have one of those floating around here just for, you know, memory's sake. Most people are like, what's, I, what's potpourri? What's potpourri? What's a doily? My <laughs> husband and I have talked about that a lot too. I, I do think it kind of skips a generation though, Dustin. Like I've realized I thought that was normal for people to be so close to their grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, but like my parents don't have really any interest in being grandparents. Mm, so, but my husband's parents do, they spend a lot of time with our kids. So it is interesting. Like in my mind, I want my kids to have that magic that I had as a child with my grandparents and the little mini cereal boxes. And like one of my favorite smells still is the smell of cigarette smoke next to a pool. Like it's just, it flashes <laughs> me back to these memories yeah. of like this time that felt so easy. And I thought everybody had that and they don't, which, mm-hmm. which is sad, but we've had that same argument. I guess that's all I'm saying is we've had that same discussion of like, so not everybody we, understands the value of that. We built an apartment uh, over our garage and we actually moved in my grandmother into it just to keep her close oh, because I love she's that. only, only like 70. Oh, you're so lucky. Both my grandmothers, I was really close to, they're both really strong, independent females that had been single for like 50 years by the time they passed. And they both passed within a month of each other when I was two months away from having my daughter. Um, yeah, so neither of them got to see my, yeah, we had three boys and then we, our last one's a girl. So I, I love that you still have her there and you get to cherish that and your kids get to experience that. Oh yeah. I think she just had like a recent doctor checkup and her doctor said, wow, your numbers are like off the charts as far as like healthiness. And so the only change has been, I moved in with my grandson. So I think. Yeah, I know. I'm essentially keeping her alive. Yeah, it's all you. (laughs) By letting her watch my children. (laughs) Hey, there's something to be said for letting her enjoy the youth, youthfulness of kids. Mm -hmm. Now, if I could just get her to stop feeding them candy all the time, that would be that would be the win. Don't do it, it, Dustin. Don't remember (laughs) that forever. Yeah. So will their sugar levels? Yeah, that's true. All right. Thank you so I much mean, for joining us on here, Jamie, and talking with us. Um, I feel like we asked you a ton of questions already, but uh, one thing we forgot to ask: the Evolve workshop that's coming up in February. Um, I think. It, do you guys still have tickets left? Are you still trying to sell tickets or anything? Or we're pretty close to capacity, but we still probably have maybe. 15 spots that we can take before we're at our limit for our numbers. So we're going to keep it open um, probably until the 20th of the month Mm -hmm. if they want to join us. And I know that, so we do our content creation the day before the actual conference. So on February 3rd, there's 15 different shoots from 15 amazing photographer educators, and Mm -hmm. there are still openings for that as well. So if they come to the conference, they can still shoot. That is Mm -hmm. still available. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us and 
We hope you have a great rest of the year. <laughs> rest of the year. I said that like it's December. <laughs> Jeez, what's wrong with me? I hope the conference goes really well. That's a better Hopefully thing to say. Hopefully next year goes really well for you. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, All right. it won't be the last time. We'll talk again. Yep. Have a good, good one. one. Bye, Bye, Jamie. Jamie. Bye, guys. Bye, Jamie. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Wedding Photo Hangover Podcast. If you love the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to connect, we're at Wedding Photo Hangover on Instagram. Dustin is on Instagram at Dustin underscore McKibben. And Steven is at Steven Van Elk. If you want to join the awesome community of listeners that contribute to the show every week, join the Wedding Hangover Facebook group. If you want to help keep this podcast alive, though, head on over to stephendustinsavetheworld.com and you can sign up to support the podcast for as little as $1 a month. On top of the benefit of knowing you're keeping a good show going because we got a good show going, you also get the benefit of extra content. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time your head is pounding, your limbs feel like dead weight, and your entire being aches for the sweet embrace of death. That's right, next Sunday after you shoot another wedding. <laughs> Dustin, it's been great talking with you and with Jamie. Yeah, you too, bud. Always a pleasure. Have a great day, bud. You too. I'll talk to you soon. See you later. Bye. Um, but that's the whole reason it was started. I just wanted a friend. <laughs> Wedding Photo Hangover was edited this week by Steve Van Elk of Bespoke Tone. Go to Bespoke Tone for all of your photo, video, and audio editing needs. Woo!